Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. The British government is charging forwards with efforts to restart the capitalist economy. Unclear messages about staying alert are combined with a mad dash to get schools reopened for young children so their parents can get back to work. But while the capitalists are concerned only with restarting the profit machine, workers are warning that this premature return to work will kill them. The government has one set of guidelines for reopening schools, and the unions have a completely different one. By the way, right now you can hear the socialist response to the latest big political developments in England and Wales in the Socialist Party's weekly Facebook Live broadcasts Friday at 1pm. Socialism, the podcast, will continue delving into various topics weekly each Friday evening. So, what is required for lockdown to end safely? How can unions and workers force the Tories to put safety first? And are there lessons from the lockdown disruption for how the unions and the education system could work differently? This episode of Socialism looks at lifting the lockdown. Schools, safety and super spreaders. We're here this episode with Martin Powell Davis, who is a science teacher and an activist with the National Education Union, as well as a member of the Socialist Party's National Committee. Hello, Martin. Hello, how are we doing? Good, thank you very much. How are you? Okay. A bit worried, perhaps? Well, it's a very stressful time. I say that teachers and other school staff are really, really worried about what the government's reckless proposal means for them. And so, yes, there is a lot of work to be done, but a lot of activity by the unions as well to try and make sure that nothing happens, which is unsafe for staff and, of course, unsafe for students and their communities as well. Yes, so we're going to explore that a little bit in this podcast. Let's start by noting that the government seems to be rushing to get certain workplaces reopened. So construction's on the list, manufacturing's on the list, schools are on the list. Why is the government rushing to get various workplaces reopened? And (laughs) hang on, uh, construction, manufacturing, schools? How do schools fit on that list? And why is it only nursery and primary schools, not secondaries, that they're rushing to reopen? Well, follow the money. It's about profit. This government is a government that represents people that only care about profit. They may try and pretend it's about safety, but as I'll try and explain, it has absolutely nothing to do with safety. In fact, let's start with that. If you were thinking that it was time to start to reopen schools, and obviously there are lots of parents who quite understandably would want schools open when it was safe, But if you were looking at safety, the very last place you would start is early years of primary school. Exactly the kind of young people that need to play, will not understand about social distancing, will go up and hug their friends, that will need to share equipment and Play-Doh and paint. And of course, also, if they've got a cold, they'll spread it. And of course, it'd be exactly the same with COVID-19. So it's not about safety, it's just about childminding. This government just wants to be able to bully all workers back into their workplaces to say, the schools are open, you've got no reason to stay off, back into work you come, 
we don't care how unsafe it is for the school staff and we don't really care how unsafe it is for you either. Profit comes first. That's what all it's about. So presumably the theory is that secondary school age kids can look after themselves. Absolutely. I mean, there was a bit of a debate that some of the secondary heads wanted the secondary schools to open first. And obviously there was some logic if you were concerned about exams and exam league tables, which of course they are. So there was some discussion about year 10s and year 12s coming back first. But no, the government has just gone for the childcare first option, safety last option. That's what they've gone for. So they want as much of the economy opened back up again so that production can continue, so that goods can be made and therefore sold, and the bosses can carry on making money, and the primary schools and the nursery schools are there, in the Tories' eyes, simply as a glorified child-minding service for the profit interests of the bosses. Absolutely. Now, the National Education Union, the NEU, has said it has five tests for whether or not it's safe to reopen schools. Could you tell us what those tests are? Yes, I mean, really, they are the National Education Union version of what any sensible science understanding of tackling a pandemic says, which is that, first of all, test number one, you've got to get the overall level of infection down so that if you are going back into schools, then the chances of somebody bringing in an infection in the first place are relatively slow, still there, but relatively low. At the minute, we're nowhere near that. Then, if you're getting them into school test two, obviously, then all of those issues that all workers have been demanding have got to be in place. Social distancing, appropriate PPE, and so on. But of course, all of that in a school is extremely difficult. So actually, test three is particularly crucial, which again is just the World Health Organization clear instruction, test, test, test. So we are saying there has got to be, before anything opens, regular testing of staff so that you know whether, in fact, you're infected. And, of course, then you can go on to the rest of that strategy of having isolation. And that's what test four is, that if you do get a positive test within a school environment, then you instantly go to making sure that there's proper isolation of everyone who's come across that child or teacher or member of school staff in general, so that you don't then start to spread the virus back into the community, or at least you try and minimise that risk. And last of all, test five is about those people who are particularly vulnerable. And obviously that's not just vulnerable staff, but vulnerable relatives of those staff and of those children. So what we don't want is children and staff getting the virus from school and then bringing it back to those who are perhaps pregnant, old, got various diseases, chronic diseases. Obviously, there's a long list of people that indeed might make them more susceptible to serious symptoms from the virus. And is there anything which you think should be added to that list? Well, we think that in particular, the issue of the testing is perhaps the one that needs stressing, because to be honest, you cannot social distance in a school. So that is the one that's the most important. But the other thing I think that goes with it is the issue of pay. Because, of course, at the minute, the government has said that the furlough scheme continues for another couple of months. But they've already said that employers will have to start to pay. Well, there are lots of low paid school staff that are employed through agencies, cleaners, cooks, agency supply staff like myself, who at the minute has got furlough money. But as soon as 
the agencies have to say, well, we're going to have to pay in ourselves. Obviously, that furlough money will probably quite quickly come to an end. And so what we don't want, because it's linked to safety, we don't want people thinking, well, we've got no choice. We know it's unsafe, but we've got to go back because otherwise we've got no income. So alongside the demands for test, trace, isolate, it's also, and what the World Health Organization actually says is, isolate and care. In other words, who's looking after the people that are off work? And obviously, full pay is a big element of that. Otherwise, people are going to be forced back into unsafe conditions. We can't have that. So the Department for Education, that's the national government department which looks after schools and so on, has issued advice on how to reopen the schools, which it says is how to do it safely. Does that advice cover any of these bases? I have to say it is absolutely mind-blowingly criminal what they've come out with. Obviously, when Johnson first made his speech, there was enough anger and disbelief that he thought that he was going to get reception year one and year six in. When the next day the DFE came out with their advice, their guidance, it was clear that not only did they want to get reception year one and year six back, they also wanted to get nursery back. Plus, of course, all those priority children of key workers and vulnerable children all back. So actually getting on to half the primary schools back by the beginning of June. And then they say they want to have all primary schools back a month before the end of term, which is, you know, a couple of weeks later in many areas. So actually, we're not talking about some gradual phasing. Their plan is just to get primary schools fully reopened for all the profit-making reasons that we've talked about. But it's worse than that. If you think what most people have been demanding, what even the government says is necessary, you know, perhaps we should start wearing masks on buses and so on. But what they say for schools in this DFE document is PPE is not required in school. They also say bluntly, physical distancing is impossible in schools. Well, that bit is true. We know it's impossible in schools, but they're basically saying that everybody goes back without physical distancing being possible, without PPE, without testing. I mean, it even says, and quite incredibly, their advice to a member of staff who's been working with a child who turns out to have COVID-19 with symptoms, and of course many won't, as I'll come on to, the advice is wash your hands for 20 seconds. I mean, it is absolutely criminal. The guidance actually has just made it even more obvious to anybody who reads it that any thought of opening schools safely at the moment is just not possible. And that last point I'll make, because they're being absolutely deceitful about this issue of children passing on the virus. So Gavin Williamson, when he released the press release about how it was all about safety, what they say is the testing isn't required. All these precautions are not required because children don't get as severe symptoms as adults. Well, of course, in general, that's true, although there is this development of severe symptoms among some children. But in general, it's true that children don't get the disease as severely as adults. But the point is that there's clear evidence that they spread it. And so what's going to happen is that you are just going to breed the virus. Schools are going to become spreading factories where there is no social distancing, no PPE, and the virus is just going to be spread all the parents waiting at the doors for their young nursery reception, year one children, 
going to be getting that virus spread straight from the children coming out to each other and back into the communities. A second spike is absolutely inevitable if these plans go ahead. We've got to stop them. They cannot happen for the sake of staff, for the sake of children and for the sake of everyone in our communities. So this proposal to supposedly safely, supposedly phase in some of the schools coming back, it's a nightmare. It's a a guaranteed recipe for creating a second peak of extremely ill people having to go into hospitals and die, including killing some children. Clearly, the government's strategy doesn't meet a single one of the five conditions set by the NEU. So there's an absolute disconnect between what the schools union says needs to happen and what the government is telling them to do. What should the union do about this? Well, the union, all the school staff unions have clearly said if the tests aren't met, schools can't open. And that's absolutely right. That's got to be the starting position. Without the tests being met, opening schools will be unsafe. And that is the union's position. And what they're also saying is that if that remains the case, then they would support their members in not going back into unsafe conditions. And that's the key. Because I still think that there is hope that if you explain nicely to this government, just get them to really realise that they're wrong, then perhaps they'll listen. And I'm afraid this is just not understanding that we're dealing with a very callous group of the representatives of the profit-making class in our society. They do not care. All they care is whether they're going to be faced down. And that's the only way we're going to do it. We've got to face them down and say, we're not going back. So, of course, it's one thing for the union to say we support members not going back. And it's another for the position to be schools should not reopen. But, of course, that entails school workers themselves actually, in effect, carrying out industrial action. So what should school workers and local branches of the unions be doing to actually make sure their members are safe? Well, there's got to be a sense of urgency because June the 1st is not very far away and the work is beginning, I have to say, because, you know, workers themselves feel very, very deeply about this. So unions are recruiting. The National Education Union's website briefly crashed because so many people were contacting to try and make sure that they were a member of the union. A good problem to have. A very good problem to have. You know, I think quite a significant one that people realise However much people say that unions are written off, actually, when people realise they need supports, it's a very good sign that people realise they've got to turn to their union. But what we're saying is the unions have got to have that sense of urgency. So we need everybody to be being contacted. So officers need to be contacting reps. Reps need to be contacting members. They've got to discuss it together because, yes, strictly speaking, the health and safety legislation, particularly Section 44 of the Employment Rights Act, is written as if it's just an individual right. And it is individual right. You have a right not to return to an unsafe workplace and to suffer no detriment if that's the case. That's absolutely clear. But we can't just leave it to individuals to make that decision because then they'll be picked off. We've got to make sure that we get everybody together and everybody knows that that is what their right is and that we're all going to employ those rights together. So You know, that work is being done, but it's got to be done with a sense of urgency because already some heads are starting to send out letters, starting to send out emails saying you've got to be in next week. You've got to start preparing your class for pupils being in on June the 1st. 
And we're saying, no, you don't go in. The five tests have not been met. Therefore, the school is unsafe. You absolutely can't do that. I mean, there are a proportion of heads and governors who absolutely don't want to open either. Well, I'd say a large proportion who don't want to open either because they know it's dangerous. But perhaps a smaller proportion of those that have already taken that decision. There are heads and governors, and in the end, it's their safety decision as the key manager, if you like. There are heads and governors that have already written out letters saying, we're not going to open. It's not safe. And obviously, that's another point of pressure. You know, we need school staff to be making clear to heads that they think it's unsafe, that they know it's unsafe and they're not going back. We need parents to be saying the same because parents also, of course, can keep their children off school as well. And interestingly, in one of the DfE announcements, it did make clear because some parents will be worried about it, that they are not going to have any penalties for keeping their children off school. So, you know, staff have clearly, the union has got to be the key to it. They've got the collective strength. They've got to make absolutely clear nationally the tests haven't been met. Nationally, we're not going back. But heads, governors, parents can all play a part as well in adding that pressure. And then Johnson can be forced to back off. So this needs to be a kind of military operation, really, doesn't it, in the level of detail and urgency, as you say, which is requisite in contacting all the members, the newer members, the older members, going down the membership list, making sure all the reps are ready to say, look, none of us are going back in. It's not one by one. We're all collectively not going into these unsafe workplaces. And we're standing together on this in detail locally, but coordinated nationally as well. I mean, certainly in my own part of London, East London, that's where my Socialist Party branch is, the local secretary of the National Education Union, Louise Gaffaro, who's also a member of the Socialist Party, has mm-hmm. been carrying out that kind of work. And she's also held a Zoom meeting with teachers and parents and the local MP to advise parents how to carry out this kind of action, let them know what's coming, and also put pressure on the MP to raise this kind of thing in Parliament as well. So these are the kinds of things which you think local officers, reps need to be doing and the union should be putting this forward to them. Absolutely. I mean, Zoom and Skype and all the other ways of bringing people together that we're using certainly come to the fore in this situation. Again, Louise has been playing an excellent role and obviously Newham in particular being the borough with the worst levels of COVID deaths, it's particularly pointed there. But you know, the same reports are coming around. A young rep who raised our Socialist Party motion making these points in Bradford last night got overwhelming support from a meeting of 60 for the position that we're putting forward. I've heard from another Socialist Party officer in the Midlands that they've got over 180 members registered for their meeting coming up. I'm going to be a meeting in my own NEU district of Lancaster and Morecambe tonight. And again, that's what we're going to be planning. Who are we going to contact? How are we going to get the message out? And yes, there's lots of good trade union officers doing this around the country and also reps and members themselves, of course, contacting the union and demanding that a plan is put into operation as soon as possible. So the scene could be set here for a real powerful standoff between the government and school workers. Certainly the ideas are out there and the mood is out there. I mean, just to say on that, that while contacting members to explain their immediate rights under Section 44, then also we've made the point that we also need to be making sure that at the same time we're checking their emails and most of all we're checking their home addresses and school workplaces are up to date as well 
because it's pretty clear that as well as that immediate action that we can take around health and safety, that we're also going to need the backup of national industrial action as well. And obviously that instant preparation, immediate preparation and making sure that membership records are all in order is absolutely crucial. So that, you know, if Johnson doesn't back off, obviously the greatest weapon of all that we can use is ballots for uh, official industrial action. And those steps need to be prepared for as well. And I suppose the Tories may well rue the day that they tried to force the schools back too early because this has been a real gift to recruitment and organising within the union. And of course, before the pandemic, there were really serious issues, long-standing issues of pay, of retention, of workload and so on in the schools, which on the other side of this crisis, I imagine a lot of those new members will want to be taking up as well. Speaking of which... We've talked a lot about how it's important to fight the disastrous Tory exit strategy, which is so unsafe. But what would a safe national exit strategy look like? Perhaps not in full detail, but in its main planks. Well, obviously, from a school perspective, then the five tests, if you like, sum it up. But that is a plan that works nationally as well. All of us want to get out of this lockdown. All of us would like to be getting back to our normal lives for our own health and welfare, not for the interest of making money for the manufacturing, construction and everybody else. But it can only be done safely if you carry out, test, trace, isolate and care. And really, we've got to say to the government, if your backers, if big business wants you to get everybody back to work, well, then you need to do the job. It's your fault. You are the people who are responsible for the fact that it's too early to go back. Stop blaming the workers. Stop saying, ah, it's your fault because you didn't organise your back-to-work plans properly in schools. There's nothing to do with what can be organised individually at a workplace level in schools or anywhere else. It's to do with the government actually saying, well, look, you promised us that you were going to get 18,000 traces. Even that wouldn't be enough. They haven't done that. It's not there. You promised us you would get 100,000 tests done every day. Even that wouldn't be enough. But they've not done that. You know, they should have had. And of course, a socialist government could have done this so far better if we had a nationalised plan and a proper national health service that didn't just talk about, you know, your hospitals, if you like, but covered the whole of everything that's required, the testing laboratories, all brought in and properly recruited, the PPE properly ordered and, and manufactured, everything that the government has failed to be able to do, let alone work towards at some point a vaccine. I mean, the chaotic system of capitalism in general, but particularly the decaying system that we've seen in Britain, the absolute incompetence of the capitalist government be able to carry out what is basic health is nothing new. You know, viruses have appeared in the past, again, where there was no vaccine and people weren't clear how to deal with them. It was always the same. You've got to make sure you've got the testing in place. You've got to make sure you've got the tracing in place. You've got to make sure you've got the support for those individuals that have to stay off work, both because they're isolated and those that need pay. That's what's required. Capitalism and this government don't seem to be able to carry it out, but we've got to demand they do. Yeah, certainly the Tories and actually the right wing of Labour and all the capitalist political forces for a long, long time, every time something which is about social provision has presented itself, and this is a massive question of social provision, a question of the resources being there in society to actually do mass scale testing and tracing. Every single time they said, oh, look, the resources aren't there, the money isn't there, we don't have the capacity, etc., etc. 
but certainly one very respected epidemiologist has estimated that the UK has the capacity to carry out 10 million tests a day. So that's enough capacity to test the entire population of the UK once a week. And yet we're struggling to get to, you know, several orders of magnitude lower than that per week. It's incredible. And it's simply because all this capacity is locked away in different competing private organisations and the Tories are not concerned about actually bringing them into public ownership and having a central plan. I mean, the full capacity of NHS labs is not even being used at the moment. The Socialist Party has a member who's an NHS lab worker who's written an article in the previous issue of the Socialist newspaper exposing that the full capacity is not being used. Meanwhile, the Tories are establishing these networks of charities and third sector organisations, universities and big private businesses, big pharma in particular, these alternative networks of lab testing systems which is clearly a precursor to moving lab testing out of the NHS on the other side. So they're not using the capacity which is there. And meanwhile, they are preparing further privatisation of our health service. It's absolutely insane. Well, <laughs> it's an insane system, but it is. But I mean, going back to schools, so for example, the DfE, again, some of their deceit, they say, well, testing is available. Teachers, if they want, can go and get tested. But of course, what they're talking about, myself here in the northwest would be taking an hour's drive down to my nearest drive-in centre down in Preston, down the M6, where, you know, some privatised outfit is no doubt running that testing centre. I mean, contrast, I'm certainly not using France as the greatest of examples because they also have gone back too quickly in France before the overall COVID numbers are sufficiently low. But I did notice it was a particular mayor who said, right, we've got to stop this because we've already got a case quite correctly. But the contrast there where there's absolutely clearly that what the mayor has ordered is testing on the site in the school playground. Everybody is being tested. The test comes to the workplace. That's what we're talking about. You know, that capacity, as you say, is there if it was properly mobilized so that if there was an outbreak in a school instantly, you close it down, you test everybody, you isolate those that have got contacts, which might very possibly be the whole school after all. And, you know, a similar approach in other workplaces as well. What they are doing is just at best a pretense of a test and trace policy. The reality is that they have got nothing in place and it is at best a shambles, you know, at worst, just a deliberate attempt to just ignore what needs to be done but the reality is people will remember. If we don't stand up to it, what they're preparing, they will reap the whirlwind because it is absolutely inevitable that there will be a second wave and people are already beginning to learn lessons and those lessons won't be forgotten, that these people are responsible for a disaster and for deaths, thousands of deaths that could have been avoided and they're on track for more. So what would be necessary is at least requisitioning, but in reality, nationalising of big parts of the medical sector, but also other parts of the economy which are necessary to maintain things during this crisis situation, and then coordinating them with a national plan, which would need to have actual input from on the ground in local areas where the real situation is known, where local knowledge can actually feed into making the details correct. So that means democratic input. You would need public ownership and a democratic plan of production and distribution 
And in a nutshell, that's the socialist program, really, for society. But that's what's necessary to mobilise this capacity which already exists in Britain's economy. And the workers out there, they want to do the job. Only that kind of structure will allow them to do the job which they already want to do. But the capitalists who are in control of the economy and whose representatives are in control of the government, they're not concerned with doing the job, they're concerned with making a profit. So at base, this is a question of who is in control, the capitalists or the workers. Clearly the Socialist Party stands for the workers being put in control, even starting at a local level with the schools and the school workers and school unions insisting on proper safety in the workplaces and controlling that themselves, health and safety reps, making sure that things are run properly, but for the moment, just not going back in. Now, the final question I think we should ask, normal school systems have been disrupted by this lockdown. Of course, this is one of the reasons why everyone wants a lockdown to end. It's very disruptive to normal life. It's having all sorts of consequences on people's mental health and so on. So there are many, many new problems, including in the education system, which have been caused by the lockdown. But Presumably, it's also suspended some of the existing problems because there are all sorts of issues with the way that the curriculum was run, the way that testing was carried out, etc. So it's given a kind of fresh perspective on the education system at the same time. So maybe briefly, could you tell us what does disruption of the lockdown show us about what a socialist education system might look like? Well, first, just let me go back to the previous points we were making, because one of the major issues why schools were facing such difficulties before the lockdown was the massive turnover of staff due to insufficient pay and in particular due to excessive workload and all the pressures of working in an exam factory system where the only thing that matters to the government is test results and league tables and then using performance-related pay and Ofsted to compare and to try and bully everybody into working in those kind of conditions. If the unions stand up and defend their members and that together union members do that, then I hope that that spirit and that memory will then be taken back into the workplace so that the next time you're asked to do something which is excessive, which again adds to your workload beyond what you can reasonably be asked to do, just like we're going to be doing about unsafe schools, then the confidence is there for the union group to say together, no, we're not doing it. So again, let's hope that that's something that people will learn from this crisis and build from. But in terms of the curriculum itself, as I said, we live in a country where it's an exam factory system, where everything is around league tables and data and not really about what education is really about. And they've had to suspend that. So public exams have had to be ended and looking more at using teacher assessment. And that's something which, again, we can maintain and come back to. I mean, that's not perfect because, of course, even with teacher assessment, the class issues are still there. It's easier for a child with more home supports and less stressful home conditions to be able to do that kind of out of school assessment than it is for others. But nevertheless, there's an issue that needs to be looked at. But what absolutely this should be the end of is the SATs, the test for primary age children, which were never there for education, which were only there to compare classes, to compare teachers, to compare schools in those kind of performance tables. And, you know, SATs have had to go and they've got to stay gone. And also 
the baseline assessment, which I think they're still trying to say that they're going to have in September for the youngest children, that's got to be stopped as well. So, you know, we want an end to a test-dominated curriculum, an end to the league tables, and a curriculum that's actually based on what children actually need to know on learning for the skills that people need, not for the test results, simply for the Department for Education to be able to bully and contrast. So this shift to more teacher assessment, the existence of a closer relationship between home learning and schools, presumably there's been a difference in how homework is issued as well. Are these things which might point to a different way of doing things in a social education system? Yeah, and I think it's the input. Obviously, some parents will have found the pressure of working while they were trying to also do their own job perhaps from home or having to go out to work while their children were at work, a pressure. But there might also be some parents that have found that actually being involved to some extent a little bit more in what the education involves, I think that's something that we need to work on. We need to get parents and, of course, the students themselves and staff to discuss what's worked well, what could be better. Again, it's about having workers' control and workers' input so that we haven't got an education system which is designed for producing a workforce, basically, and solely that. There's been a long history of the labour movement battling for an education system that, as they put it many years ago, that battles for really useful knowledge. What is it that we need to know? How could that curriculum change? How could the methods of teaching it and learning it change? That's what a real socialist education system would look like, so that everybody had an input with flexibility, a much broader curriculum, not one narrowed down to just what's in the league tables, but something of real interest, because that, again, would make such a difference to society if education was something that everybody felt they could get the most out of. But, again, that's something which a socialist system, as well as allowing more broadly a planned and democratically run society could also apply the same kind of approach to an education system too. So you could have, when you talk about a broader curriculum, you mean more practical and vocational subjects, but also more cultural subjects mixed in with the kind of rote learning which the present system has been reduced to through the exam factory methods, as you say. I presume, you know, this talk of more involvement between parents and the wider community in discussion around what works with schools this would be facilitated by having a reduced working week something which the bosses are absolutely opposed to but which on the basis of eliminating profit you could share out the work in society you could reduce working weeks a great deal these are all things which a social system might incorporate but personally my favorite things which the russian revolution did for the education system after 1917 were the abolition of school uniforms and the abolition of homework (laughs) <laughs> that is a debate which we can have some other point because there'll be lots of different points of view on that, James. <laughs> All right, well, yes, perhaps in a future podcast we can delve a little bit more deeply into what a socialist education system might look like. But for the moment... No, but, jo- but joking aside, that's the whole point, that there will be different views on exactly those kind of issues. But the only way you reach a solution on that is precisely to allow people to genuinely discuss and debate and come up with what's best. Marvellous. And anything else you'd like to add, Martin, before we conclude? Well, only to say, look, the next two weeks are going to be absolutely critical because actually, obviously, if school workers stand firm, then they are absolutely going in battle and stopping a government drive to get 
not just schools back, but as we said at the beginning, to get all workers back into work. So it needs everyone to be able to support. So, you know, if you know members of school staff, encourage them, let them know that you're behind them, let them know that you agree that schools are not safe to open under the plans that Johnson has come out with, that the minute they're unsafe, parents themselves should be making that point and organising amongst parents. Demands have got to go in on heads, on governors, on local authorities themselves. They should be saying that no, our schools can't open, they're not safe. Let's push Johnson back. Let's make sure that he regrets ever making this reckless move to try and reopen schools before it's safe. And of course, if you are a school worker, Martin runs a blog about these topics. And what is the blog's address, Martin? It's MPDNUT. If you put that into Google, you'll find that on a blog spot, MPDNUT.com. M for Martin, P for Powell, D for Davis, N for National, U for Union, T for Teachers, from the one of the precursor unions of the NEU there. That's right. It goes back to then. Its name does, yes. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us this episode, Martin. No problem. Thank you very much. All the best. All and the best. good luck. Thank you. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. Today we heard from Martin Powell-Davis speaking to me, James Ivans, and this episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can read more about school workers' struggles and trade unionism at Martin's blog, mpdnut.com. If you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for in England and Wales, we need you. Join our campaign to build a truly effective working-class socialist fighting force in the trade union and labour movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England or Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for a Workers' International by visiting socialistworld.net. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We need your help to maintain our independent political voice right when it's most important during this generation-defining global catastrophe. It's disrupting us too, hence the two-week gap since our last episode. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people. We're always asking for finance. But right now, because we can't raise money from our usual campaign activity on the streets and in the workplaces, we need it more than ever. You can help us take the fight to big business by making a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. You can find further reading on this episode in the episode notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. And for the latest statements on working class demands, socialist analysis and reports from the front line, check the Socialist Party's website and our Facebook page. If you have comments, questions or something you want to hear from us, you can contact us on socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. And don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. Till next time, solidarity. <laughs>